Hey, everybody. We're back for our monthly Blu-ray Spotlight. We'll be tackling June. What have you What have you seen this past these past few weeks that uh, is worth mentioning? Well, I've seen a couple things. I don't know if it's worth mentioning or not. I saw yesterday. I saw Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, so did both of those. Um, I think yesterday is more. You know, it's a Richard Curtis wrote it, who did Love Actually, of course, and Poor Weddings and Funeral, all that, and it's directed by Danny Boyle. Uh, I was interested to see what a combination, a collaboration, rather, between Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis might be. It's more Richard Curtis than Danny Boyle. Let's just make that clear for anybody who's interested. Oh. And this, this is the uh, the movie about the guy who wakes up in a universe where the Beatles don't exist, and so he plagiarizes all the songs and uh, you know pawns them off as his own or whatever. He performs them, not really plagiarizing, but you know he's. Claiming they're his own and uh, becoming a superstar in the process, and uh, you know it's uh, it's just kind of middle of the road. It's lesser Richard Curtis. I actually respond to some of his stuff sometimes. I love Notting Hill. I'll be honest, and I have a soft spot for Love. Actually, it's fine. Um, not over the moon about it, but I can tolerate it. But uh, this was lesser Richard Curtis. I thought it sagged in the middle and just uh, a little bit too long, but it had a nice finish. And uh, there were a couple of there's a surprise in the final act that's pretty delightful I'll have to admit I don't want to say too much about that but um, it's Beetle related and that's all I'll say but uh, you know it's it's a mixed bag but uh, for anybody who thinks they're going to see the kind of uh, directorial prowess and directorial energy that you get from a Danny Boyle film. Um, something like say 127 hours or uh, train spotting you're not going to find that in this movie it's it's kind of sleepy compared to those <laughs> those yeah. movies but uh, but far from home the spider-man movie which opens the following to this coming tuesday after we're taping this july 2nd uh I thought it was an improvement over spider-man homecoming which i really detested uh, i have to admit i just felt like it was Spider-Man the sitcom is what it felt like to me and if I want to watch a sitcom I'll stay at home and watch any number of sitcoms that are on endless repeats on cable so I don't need to go to the movies to see that or to see Spider-Man turned into a sitcom But uh, so I didn't respond to that at all but this one they dialed down the humor a little bit thankfully uh, it's kind of a I don't know a bridging the gap movie I feel like between the last Avengers film and the next installment or whatever it is they got lined up next. So the movie opens up with an homage to the fallen heroes, the characters who were killed in the last Avengers movie. It does an in-memoriam type thing, and then it just kicks into high gear, and Spidey, Peter Parker's going over too on a, on a jaunt in Europe with his classmates, and there's this creature that's disrupting everything, and he's... Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal shows up as this character, Mysterio, who's very familiar to anybody who reads the comics, and he's helping Spidey battle this creature, but then uh, there are some plot twists, and people aren't exactly who we think they are as the movie goes on. don't want to say too much about it, but anyway, it's tolerable. And certainly a marked improvement over the last one. It wasn't grown. It wasn't just chock full of groan-inducing humor, uh, which I... Uh, found the last one to be I just I couldn't I could just barely I couldn't wait to get out of there I was just chomping at the bit for the, for it to be over but this one like I said uh, 
you know, it's it's okay, and I'm sure it'll make a gazillion dollars. So my opinion is probably unimportant. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. Well, it's important so, to me, man. That's what more <laughs> do you need? I I kind of like Homecoming though. Isn't that the one with Michael Keaton? That's the one. Yeah, he was kind of interesting in it. I mean, yeah, when, when I, they got I, him I from like, the cheap I liked jokes. his character in it, and I, I liked the fact that they. Uh, it was a lot like Batman Returns because uh, I like the fact that they both knew who the other was, and there was a period yeah. of kind of navigating that. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my favorite part of that one. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree. That was that was kind of that was an interesting twist because that's what made but, uh, Batman Returns so good. For well, so good. It's a movie I've never returned to and don't want to. But Batman Returns, <laughs> I really like the fact that he and Catwoman. They knew who the other was. That, and I thought that that moment of realization when they're dancing and they figure it out uh, yeah. was the best scene, best scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. And I think Batman Returns is fine. I I thought it was interesting that they it was it was a Tim Burton Batman movie when he had no chains on him and he could just do whatever he wanted to do. So in that respect, it's interesting because it's, this is the closest we would ever have to a Tim Burton Batman movie where there's no nobody telling him what to do or stopping him and so I always thought that was interesting if nothing else as an as an experiment <laughs> you talked you talked about Danny Boyle not showing his usual directorial prowess in yesterday yes. but uh man I'll tell you a movie that has nothing but directorial prowess is uh, Midsummer the new uh right. Ari Aster horror film is follow up to hereditary mm-hmm. uh, it's um man i don't much care for you know and i was kind of dreading seeing a movie about a, a cult in sweden <laughs> cultural <laughs> the, the re- weird ritualistic dancing and all that kind of crap but from frame one man this this is a just a beautifully crafted film the uh, compositions are just gorgeous, even when they're showing the most heinous imagery. Um, he's very patient. There's lots of scenes that are just in single long shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a movie that uh, casts a spell, which I think is uh, in keeping with you know the plot of the movie, which involves this, this cult. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just so beautiful from the sound effects to the cinematography. It's a it's a horror movie that takes place in blinding sunlight. Um, I can't say that I, I I cared one way or another about the plot, like I said. But within the plot, he does have a lot of fun. Um, and it might not be obvious to you uh when you leave because the movie feels like such a downer, but I mean, he, he is very playful throughout the movie. And there are several times in the movie where I thought to myself, Oh, he's having a good time fucking with this mm-hmm. because he's, he, he's looking at these elaborate stagings of rituals and, and dances and feasts and just the oddity of the characters and what they're doing, how crazy it is. Uh, and I think it's entirely intentional. I mean, he, he, he knows what he's doing. So if people walk out and say, that was laughable, 
uh, I think they're missing the point. Uh, and in the end, it did not resonate with me as much as Hereditary did, because with Hereditary, I felt like I understood the theme of the movie in terms of mental illness, and that theme fit into uh, every beat of the movie. Uh, the stuff that was obscure on the surface, if you tied it in with that theme, they made sense. Um, mm-hmm. This one, this one is a little bit more opaque for me, but I do think it's about breaking up, both in terms of breaking up in a relationship and breaking up mentally. Uh, and so, I'd be interested to know what other people out there think think of the movie. Uh, the ending is totally bananas and just reaches such a fever pitch. Um, and I love the last shot of it, but just watch it for the craftsmanship alone. I mean, this is a this is a born movie maker right here. Yeah, wow. I'm uh yeah, I've been hearing good things about it. I was just listening actually to a uh, an episode of Film Week, the KPCC, uh that's the public radio station out in Los Angeles. They do a they have a round table discussion of mm, uh pretty major critics out in the out in the Los Angeles area. They get around and uh, talk about the latest releases, and they were really positive about it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm hearing good things. Uh, we had a screener, uh, screening for it, but it was in the daytime, and I couldn't make it because of my, I have a day job. And um, so, you know, unfortunately I missed it. But uh, I think we're getting it Wednesday, I believe, so... Oh yeah, well one other okay. thing I saw was Toy Story 4. I did see that. I just felt like it was uh compared to the other 3, uh, the first 3 just really whereas they deal with themes of loss and abandonment, none of that is found in this movie. It just goes for the comedic shtick of the lowest common denominator. I felt like it was a really cold calculated attempt at at a cash grab and really brought the series down and I was really really disappointed and surprised that the quality slipped that much with Toy Story 4. So that's my short take on that, for whatever it's worth. That's one I forgot about earlier. So, but we will move on to Blu-rays now. As we were mentioning earlier, uh, a couple of these Batman films, I guess, uh, time to coincide with the 30th anniversary of release of the 1989 Tim Burton Batman uh, it has been issued on 4K along with Batman Returns and Batman Forever. Um, they have all been issued on 4K, and I'm told that the um, the picture upgrade is substantial. And Batman and Robin also. Surprisingly, yeah, they went for that one too. But yeah, uh, I hear that uh, Batman and Batman Returns, I did not get uh, review copies, but I hear that the uh, they were really worth... If you're a fan of these movies, the, uh, the, the like I said, the picture upgrade is is really quite extraordinary. So I just want to make sure people know those are out there. Also, uh, speaking of Toy Story, Toy Story one, two, and three have been issued in 4K, and um, also have uh, Wallace and Gromit, the Curse of the Were-Rabbit has been issued on Blu-ray from 2005. So getting into some animation here. Um, and Flushed Away from 2006. <laughs> so, um, Also a collection of the new Scooby-Doo movies. Which these are kind of fun. Because uh, this is where they would take celebrities and have them voice their 
real-life personas and help Scooby-Doo solve a mystery, and you had Mama Cass Elliot and the Three Stooges, and you had uh, Laurel and Hardy, but they were dead at this point, so I don't think they were doing yeah, the voices. But... Was, was Ma- wasn't Mama Cass dead by that point, too? Nope, nope. This was the year before she passed, I think. So it's actually her voice. When did she? When did she wow. So that 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 cart. When did that cartoon start? In the, uh, in the early seventies. Seventy two. Seventy two to seventy three. Huh, okay. Uh, it's kind of fun though. Like I said, because she she actually does her own voice because she died in seventy four. So I think in her, her episode wow. was I believe seventy three. Yeah. So she's it's the real deal. And um, it's some of these episodes, they are kind of fun. There's a Jerry Reed episode called The Phantom of the Country Music Hall. And um, there's a Don Adams episode. Uh, the Mama Cast episode is called The Haunted Candy Factory. It was the second to the last one filmed. And um, then you have Davy Jones is in one of them. Uh, so, they stick like Mama, said, so they stick Mama Cass, they stick Mama Cass in a candy factory. Yeah, that's not respectful. No, but that's probably what that's all about. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, the three it would be called fat shaming today, but back then it was a different story. Yeah, Don Knotts is in one of these. Jonathan Winters, uh, and like I said, the Three Stooges, and I do believe it's the real Mo Howard because he was still alive at the time. So. Huh. Interesting for anybody who's a big, big nostalgia fan. Uh, you get them all in this two-disc set, the new Scooby-Doo movies. And these are full-length movies, by the way. They're they're not 30-minute episodes. These are, I think, 90 minutes each, I believe. So were they were they like anyway. prime? Were, did they air in prime time? On Saturday. Uh, I was going to say on Saturday mornings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay. But they're they're pretty, you know, they're not, uh, like I said, they're not short 30-minute things. These are full length or pretty close to Gosh, it. I remember uh, walking, uh, riding my bike home from school, elementary school, every day and watching uh, the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo at 3 and 3.30. <laughs> that was my ritual. Good memories, dude. Good memories. Yeah, and, I, I did too. Guilty as charged. Yeah. I did that up until college, and then I uh... <laughs> <laughs> felt like you had to give it up, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, there comes a time in any man, in every man's life. Uh, well, we'll move on to an Arrow video release, the 1970 film, The Andromeda Strain, directed by Robert mm-hmm. Wise, and of course, um, this uh, was based on the novel by Michael Crichton just when he was becoming well known. I think this might have been the one that pushed him into the public eye. And uh, there's a lot of great features on this. They've done a really nice job if you're a fan of the Andromeda strain. Um, there's a newly filmed appreciation featuring um, critic Kim Newman. There's uh, a making the film archive featurette from 2001 directed by uh, a name that comes up pretty frequently, Laurent Bootsiro. <laughs> for us oh. on the show. Uh, there's also a portrait of Michael Crichton. Uh, that's another Bootsy Road uh, featurette. So, and it's an actual uh, interview with Michael Crichton from 2001. And there's, uh, you know, like I said, some new features. A, uh, you get a copy, a PDF of the 192-page script, which is much longer than the actual oh. film. So, uh, you know, it's this is a leisurely paced film. Uh, the thing I remember about it, uh, it and it, it does work, it moves in fits and starts. I enjoy it. It's 
kind of suspenseful in places, but you've got to be really patient with it because, and that's Robert Wise. He's uh, known for doing that sort of thing at times. Um, but the thing that I remember is it has this really interesting score by Gil Malay, who would go on to later compose the themes for the Night Gallery and the music for Kolchak the Night Stalker, those television series. And because the, the virus in the film is hexagon-shaped, there was a soundtrack album that was put out by um, Universal subsidiary Decca Records, and it was hexagon-shaped, the LP was. And people would put it on, and it would just tear their needle to shreds. So they had to recall the actual hexagon-shaped soundtrack LP and put it out in standard format. Uh, I'm told that if you have the original pressing with the hexagon soundtrack by Gil Malay of the Andromeda Strain, it's worth quite a bit of money. So for whatever it's worth, just wanted to mention that. Uh, well, no. I mean, I, I, I've I've held copies of that soundtrack before. Yeah. On LP, and I didn't look at the actual LP. It so it was probably a second pressing or something, but the actual uh, LP sleeve, it's hexagon shaped. So you open it from the top, mm-hmm. like you know, like like an origami thing. Yeah. Uh, is that what you're talking about, or the actual LP was hexagon? The actual LP, the first pressings of it were actually hexagon shaped. The uh, until until people started complaining that their needles were getting torn to shreds. Huh. And, and God, so, uh, I gotta go back to that record store because that might be one of those LPs, and they don't realize it. Yeah, I think there's a there's a reissue of it. Uh, in hexagon shape format, I think in recent years. But the one you want to look for is the one that's on the Decca Records uh, label because that was the first pressing, and that makes it quite valuable. So, uh, yeah, if you can find one of those, uh, anyway. Huh. So, just a little useless trivia from your old pal Adam here. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but if it, if somebody gets some, uh, you know, has one and they can profit off of it, I guess it's not useless trivia. But anyway, um, a couple more of these animated films from the 2000s, Over the Hedge and Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. Uh, not that anybody was clamoring for them, but they're out there. These are universal releases. And uh, Jury Duty, the uh, Pauly Shore film from 1995, has been issued. This is a Mill Creek release. And Excess Baggage is another. Oh. Uh, Alicia Silverstone, it's another Mill Creek release. These are only like, mm, you can get them for $8.99. So they're, uh, you know, they're putting them out there at really low prices. So, uh, you know, at least you're not having to spend a lot of money for these. Um, and then here's another one. How about this double feature? Mo Money and High School High. <laughs> well, I that takes you High back. High. Yeah, that was one of those uh, from David Zucker, I think the airplane guy. I think it was one of his directorial efforts. I remember it being fi- funny in fits and starts. John Lovitz is in it. Not not great, but you know, a couple laughs in there. That's a weird so, combination to put on one disc. I know, right? That's what, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. So another Arrow video release is Trapped Alive from 1988. And this stars Cameron Mitchell. Uh, he's a sheriff's deputy, and there's some escaped prisoners and two young girls who find themselves trapped in a mine shaft where a cannibalistic mutant is hunting them for food. And this is uh, 
you know, it's what Arrow Video does best. These old horror films that have that have their cult mm-hmm. followings, and uh, so that's one of them. Uh, also, another Arrow Video release is Double Face, which is a Giallo film starring Klaus Kinski from 1969, and this has uh, oh. a lot of nice extras. Um, has an interview with the composer and uh, just uh, an, a new appreciation of the film's composer. And there's all kinds of image gal- an image gallery, including the original German press book, lobby cards, um, just all kinds of stuff. So uh, this Double Face, which is a film by Double Ricardo Frida, starring Klaus Kinski. How can you go wrong with Klaus Kinski in a Giallo film? So. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Just ask. Uh, just ask his daughter. So, well, another Arrow video release. This is an Arrow Academy release. Um, is the 1963 Carol Reed film, The Running Man, which also stars Alan Bates and Lee Remick. And um, this is a suspense film. Uh, it's about a guy who faked his death in a plane crash and escaped to a foreign country under a new identity, waiting for his wife to arrive with his insurance money. And then uh, the insurance agent shows up. So um, <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting little movie, and uh, if you haven't seen it, but uh, it's they got a nice bevy of extras here. You transfer a little uh, commentary. Uh, there's a a piece uh, feature out on Lee Remick. Nice little reversible sleeve. Uh, uh, essay book and all that stuff. So anyway, I uh, just want to mention that, The Running Man from 1963. And um, another one of those Mill Creek releases that we just talked about, Opportunity Knocks with Dana Carvey. That's another one of those uh, Sony Pictures titles and Double Team. Remember when <laughs> they were trying to Dennis make a Rodman? film star out of uh, Dennis Rodman, yes, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. What a pairing, right? Again, uh, what what kind of double feature is that? Yeah, well, that's not a double feature. Those are separate, actually. Opportunity knocks. Oh, double okay. Those, those are separate. The other two, <laughs> the other one, Mo Money and High School High, that was a double feature, but yeah, okay. Those two, yeah. So um, those two have been paired up. But anyway, the Matrix trilogy has been issued in 4K for anybody who uh, is looking for that. Uh, the 1965 or 66 film uh, Arabesque, directed by Stanley Donan. This is a pretty good uh, suspense comedy, a comedy thriller, I guess you'd say. Gregory Peck, Sophie Loren used to turn up on cable, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and winning the 1969 film with Paul Newman and his wife Joan Woodward. Uh, that's um that's that might have been the film that got him into his hobby of racing cars because he's a he's a star on the race circuit in that one from '69. I'm not sure if that's the one that kind of launched his interest in that, but nevertheless, and Mr. Baseball starring Tom Selleck, <laughs> another one of those failed attempts wow. at Tom Selleck's big screen career from 1992. All those are Universal titles, and uh, boy, they're really hitting the bottom of the barrel with this one, uh, the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned this one last time, the trigger effect. Well, guess what? Mule Creek has issued the trigger effect as a wow. double feature with body count, and you can get it for eleven ninety nine. Isn't that amazing? So pretty, pretty good to get uh, two for the price of one. 
And um, Paramount has issued uh, the original 2000 version of Shaft. Uh, they put that out uh, quietly. Didn't make much brouhaha. I don't even think I got a press release on that. But I like that. That's the one made by, uh, directed by John Singleton. And, of course, with the new one in theaters, I guess they felt like they had to do it. So uh, they did. And uh, How to Make an American Quilt is another universal release. I think this was a Steven Spielberg production. It didn't really do all that well. It had the Winona Ryder in it. And I believe Ellen Burstyn was in that one. And uh, Intolerable yeah. Cruelty from 2003, and The Hurricane with Denzel Washington, and You, Me, and Dupree. Those are a couple more of the universal titles that have that they've decided to release. So that's an interesting hmm. uh, batch of titles there. <laughs> I would say quite diverse, quite diverse. But um, anyway, moving right along, we'll move to June the 11th, and we have a Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, the uh, 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters, but they put in Ghostbusters 2 as a bonus. It's a 4K uh, collection. I have that. And um, we Criterion has issued the Fred Astaire-Ginger Rogers pairing uh, Swing Time, directed by George Stevens, with uh, a boatload of extras. And this is uh, the 1936 film, one of their earlier musical pairings. Um, and then we get into some of the Shout Factory, Screen Factory stuff, rather. The 1982 film, The Entity, has been issued as a collector's edition, starring Barbara Hershey. This is the supposedly true story of Carla Moran, a hardworking single mother whose life becomes a nightmare when she's attacked in her bedroom by something she cannot see, who can, uh, repeatedly rapes her, and she can't get anybody to believe. Uh, I think this is a pretty effective film, directed by Sidney J. Fury. Um, I rewatched it. The review copy looks great. Lots of nice extras, including Barbara Hershey participated in some of the extras. Uh, so Good. there's a nice little collection here and a documentary on the real case called The Entity Files. But, uh, yeah, it still works, I think. I know I have. I'd be some... interested in the documentary. I mean, I, I I like the film up until the uh, ending. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, I get the last. Ridiculous. I will give you that. Yeah, true. The last yeah. act, but everything that mm-hmm. comes before that is pretty is pretty close to um, what was initially reported. I still think we should have driven by that house. When oh we yeah. Got there. Yeah, no doubt. That would have been that would have been great. I wish we would have. Yeah. So we have uh, the complete Johnny Quest, by the way, 1964. Would you believe Johnny Quest uh, for for most of its run on Saturday mornings? There were only 26 episodes of this show. It seemed like there were so many more, right? But uh, it was they just kept playing the same ones over and over again. These have been. The original film elements have been found, and Warner Archive has issued the complete Johnny Quest, the series from 1964 to 65. And um, moving along to another Warner Archive title, this one's been out of print for some time. They've reissued it on DVD, Damn Yankees, which uh, is uh, choreographed by Bob Fosse and features his wife, Gwen Burden. 
So, and I think he can be seen, and I think there, if you look closely, you can see him in the film at one point. But um, anyway, yeah. So, Damn Yankees has been reissued, I should say, as has. Uh, uh, well, uh, this is the first time issue for this one. None but the Brave was Frank Sinatra's only directorial effort, and uh, produced and directed by Frank Sinatra. He's not in. He's actually in the film along with Clint Walker and Tommy Sands. Um, this was from 1965. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I hear it's pretty good actually. Uh, and it was, like I said, the only film that uh, that Frank Sinatra made as a director. So it's worth noting. And then uh, The Warriors has been issued in a steelbook set for its 40th anniversary edition. Um, I'm not really sure if this, you know, notoriously this has been issued on Blu-ray before, but only in this director's cut, which most fans of the film just say is atrocious because uh, some scenes in the movie, there are transitions in, to scenes in the film where they use comic book panels and things like that. Walter Hill actually supervised it, so he was involved. And But I hear it's terrible. I'm hoping that, and I don't have enough information on it to find out, I'm, I'm hoping that they actually are, are issuing um, the original cut of the film. That would be nice. But um not not really sure about that. But anyway, it's out there for anybody who wants to investigate. Um, Frankenstein Created Woman, which is a Hammer film from 1967 starring Peter Cushing. And um, this has been issued as a collector's edition from Scream Factory. And it includes a new commentary, a World of Hammer episode called The Curse of Frankenstein, and a Hammer Glamour documentary, and TV spots still gallery, so... Lots of extras there for this collector's edition of the Hammer film Frankenstein Created Woman. And also another, uh, let's see here, we have the 1971 film They Might Be Giants, starring George C. Scott. This is, uh, he. it's about a man, a retired judge, who believes he is Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Uh, this features an audio commentary with uh, the director of the film, Anthony Harvey, and film archivist, Robert Harris. Um, and there's a featurette in the trailer. So um, anyway, Joanne Woodward co-stars. It's a Kino release. Is that based on a book? Um, yeah, it's based on a play. James Goldman did a play. Huh. So it's based on a play. Isn't there a music band called They Might Be Giants? There sure is. Very... Very astute of you to remember that, yes. Yeah. Well, they had a, <laughs> I can't tell you any of their music, but uh, well, I know they have one song they did uh it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. They did a version of that a cover version of that. That's the only thing I remember because it used to get played quite a bit on the Doctor Amento show. But um other than that I couldn't tell you anything they did, but anyway. Um and so we were mentioning Michael Crichton earlier. So we'll mention him again. His directorial debut from 1972 was a film called Pursuit, starring Ben Gazzara, mm. E.G. Marshall, and Martin Sheen. And it's mm. a suspense film. Uh, um, it's uh, a typical thriller like he was known for. Uh, it's about a government agent, played by Ben Gazzara, who uncovers a diabolical plot to blast lethal nerve gas into San Diego, San Diego during the Republican Convention. 
But hmm. um, like I said, it's Michael Crichton. He uh, would later go on to direct Westworld the following year, and that's the one that really kind of put him on the map as a filmmaker. Of course, he's very well known as a novelist, but he did direct a handful of pretty good films, I would say. So Pursuit was the first of them. So the Godfather has trilogy has been issued once again in a um like they're calling it the they're billing it as the Corleone Legacy Edition. Now what makes it this con- contains all the uh, various extras from the previous editions. Well, what makes this one different is it has a Corleone Legacy family tree, original theatrical art cards and collectible portraits with a frame. So uh you know, if you haven't Picked up the Godfather on Blu-ray, and these do look great. I mean, I've they've been out there for a while, but they're beautiful to look at. They really did a great job with the restorations. And they reissued them in this uh, Corleone family a legacy edition from uh, Paramount. And Paramount has also issued a 25th anniversary edition of Forrest Gump. And what makes this new worth mentioning is it does have a newly remastered Blu-ray. Now, it came out in 4K last year, and the 4K obviously was remastered, but the Blu-ray that accompanied it was not. This has been, the Blu-ray has been remastered as well, and this includes all of the original bonus content from previous editions in one place. Some of that uh, bonus content had been eliminated from reissues. You get it all on this one, so the 25th anniversary of... Edition of Forrest Gump has been is out there, and so I don't know if I of, ever need to see that again. <laughs> well, I know it, uh, it. You know, some people hate it, some people love it. I, you know, I, I'm kind of I I enjoy it for what it is. Uh, there are things I like about it for sure. So um, yeah, I mean, it it has its charms. I'm not sure it should have won Best Picture over Pulp Fiction, but it has its charms. So, uh, yeah. So we'll uh, mention this one. How about this 1980 film, Can't Stop the Music, starring the Village People, <laughs> hmm. directed by Nancy Walker. the The cover says the movie musical event of the 80s. <laughs> What a cast! Well, I'm the producer, you, the you, producer of that movie, who's Alan Carr. That's um, Alan Carr. Yes. The, there's there's a documentary out uh, that I watched a couple of weeks ago about Alan Carr, and uh, mm-hmm. he just had one uh, mishap after another after he had achieved great success with Grease. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he really tried to follow up Grease with "Can't Stop the Music" and uh, uh, discovered. Uh, for what it's worth, Steve Gutenberg <laughs> for for that movie, and uh, man, that that's like one of the all time disasters of that era. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies that you know, there bad movies fall into two camps. There's the so bad that it's just plain awful, and there's the so bad that it's kind of sort of good. Well, this is the mm. latter, I would say, because you watch it and. Okay. It, it's just uh, it's so bad, but but bad in such an over the top way. And you haven't lived until you've seen the Village People, Valerie Perrine, Bruce Jenner, Steve Gutenberg, and Paul Sand in a uh, in a hot tub together. So, and you get to see that in this film. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, they even interview Valerie Perrine in this documentary. Um, but 
Yeah, that speaking of double features, that needs to be on a Blu-ray with cruising. I think. I think that'll be the <laughs> but, uh, same year. Yeah, it's interesting that that movie and yeah. and reading all about its behind the scenes kind of machinations. And I mm-hmm. think they played it at the New Beverly not too long ago. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Well, you're uh, you're scooping me because uh, cruising is coming out on Blu-ray from Arrow in August, but we'll get to that. When the really? time comes. Yes, it is. Um, oh, God, hang on. There was something else yep. I was going to say. It was on the tip of my tongue. This, you spoke of bad movies that are so bad they're good. You know that there's a documentary that premiered at Cannes from Know Me With Love, I think is the name of it. That's a It's a feature-length defense of showgirls. Wow. Okay. Yeah, would be and I'd actually be interested in seeing that, yeah. Oh, I would, yeah, absolutely. Yep, no doubt about that. No doubt. Yeah. This, uh, well, this Can't Stop the Music, it's funny, yeah, because this goes in the same camp as Showgirls. And the, uh, they were questioned, Shout Factory put it out, and they were they were questioned about, um, you know, how they were going to build this film since... Bruce Jenner is now Caitlyn Jenner, but they said they decided to go with the original ad copy because that's how uh, she was billed back then. So, uh, so they yeah. stuck with Bruce Jenner, and and that's the way it went. But uh, interesting extras extras here. I will say that um, there's a new audio commentary with comedy writer Bruce Valanche <laughs> and uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, and. Um, and Jeffrey Schwartz, uh, he did that the, the documentary, uh, the fabulous Alan Carr. Maybe that's the one you're talking about. I'm not that's sure. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I gotta I gotta get that. And I do. And there's a new interview with the Village People's Randy Jones. So how about that? Mm. <laughs> he's the cow. He's the cowboy. So anyway, so the 1995 film Jeffrey, <laughs> uh, yeah. kind of okay. in the same boat. Stephen Weber, <laughs> uh, oh. a struggling actor in the New York scene who's made the biggest decision of his life. He's swearing off sex forever. Uh, of course, he's he's gay. Uh, but this has um, Stephen Weber, Patrick Stewart, and Sigourney Weaver. So, wow. Anyway, yeah, there you go. So Jeffrey has this is when they're they were trying to make a movie star out of the Wings guy. They were. They absolutely were. Yeah, this has... Paul Rudnick wrote this, believe it or not, which makes it even more interesting. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, well, he's the guy that did In and Out. That's right. So that shouldn't be a big surprise. Yeah. That's right. I was thinking of something else. Anyway, all right. Well, we'll we'll skedaddle right along. And... um, You were thinking of Saul Rubinick. Uh, I may have been. You never know what goes on in that mind of mine. Paul Rudnick, <laughs> Saul Rubinick. I mean, you come on. <laughs> it's hard to tell. So uh, the Michael Caine 1971 film Kidnapped has been issued by Kino. That's another another one of their issues. And the 1973 TV film, which was written by Joan Rivers, this is interesting to mention, The Girl Most Likely to which stars Stockard Channing. That's actually a pretty pretty good movie. I've seen that. It's been a long time. But it's about an ugly duckling who uh, has plastic surgery and becomes the, 
the pretty girl, but it's a uh, it's like I said, written by Joan Rivers, so you can imagine. Yeah, who would have thought? It has a little. Yeah, <laughs> well, it has a little. I know, right? And this was 1973, way before she did any of that. But uh, yeah, this movie packs a, has a little bit of a satirical punch because it's a Joan Rivers script. But uh, yeah, I would recommend that for anybody who hasn't seen The Girl Most Likely Two. And then we'll uh, we'll move along to June 18th, and we have the Universal Horror Collection from Scream Factory. This is a collection of uh, 1930s horror films from Universal Studios. The Black Cat, The Raven, The Invisible Ray, and Black Friday. All of these feature Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi together on screen. And just a nice oh. collection here in a slipcase uh, with... Nice new batch of extras, new audio commentaries, new documentaries, uh, featurettes, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, for anybody who's a fan of Universal Horror Films, there you go, the Universal Horror Collection. And the uh, the 1978 film written by uh, the recently deceased Curtis Hansen, The Silent Partner mm. from 1978, which is a great heist film that takes place around Christmas as Elliot Gould, Susanna York, and Christopher Plummer, I could not recommend this film more. It is really, really well done. And uh, that's been issued by Kino. And what's thankfully. it called? Uh, the Silent Partner. Yeah, huh. it's 1978. It's very, very good. Um, I have to I, look uh, that I'm up. Have you ever seen yeah. this movie, uh, The Hot Rock? I have, yes. That came out on Twilight Time, put that out a couple of months ago. That's very, very good, too. Mm hmm. Oh, okay, I need yeah. to check that one out. That was an early Robert Redford. Yep, yeah, it's got a great cast of character actors. You'll see so many familiar faces in the movie. It's pretty amazing, actually. But yeah, I would recommend that. That's good. Um, and uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the 1954 version, directed by, wait for it, Richard Fleischer. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I know, right? Uh, starring Kirk Douglas and James Mason and Peter Laurie, and this has been—you uh, can only get this through the uh, the Disney Blu-ray Club. There's an online movie club, Disney's Movie Club, and they're issuing this. But you, like I said, can only get it online. But Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, which is a has a big, big following. It was one of their mm. big live-action movies that was quite a success in in its time. So, The Monolith Monsters has been issued by Scream Factory from 1957. And that's, um, you know, it's one of those universal horror films. That, uh, and they've been doing a pretty good job putting those out. But I just wanted to mention that. Mississippi Burning has been previously issued by Twilight Time, but it's been reissued by Kino now because it's out of print. And uh, there's a new commentary on that, a few new extras. Uh, and the 1978 film Corvette Summer. Starring Mark Hamill, this was the film he made between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. But I think it was after his, uh, when he had the car accident that required him to have plastic surgery and it changes his look a little bit, I think. Mm. Looks a little different in this film. But anyway, this is uh, this was written by Hal Barwood and Matthew Robbins, who went on to, uh, you know, they were associated with Steven Spielberg, of course. And I didn't, I think they might have had some... A hand in writing uh, Poltergeist, maybe? I can't remember. Or they had something to do with it, I think. And they definitely wrote The Sugar Land Express. I know that. His first film. So 
Anyway, the William Friedkin film, The Brink's Job, has also has been issued by Kino. This was the film he made the following year after the massive failure of Sorcerer. He jumped right back in, and the next year he did The Brink's Job with Peter Falk and uh, Peter Boyle and Warren Oates and Jenna Rollins and Paul Servino. Nice cast. So. Yeah. Anyway, the 1977 film Between the Lines, which was the first film for Joan Micklin Silver, who would uh, later go on to direct several other films of of note. Uh, this has been issued by Cohen Media Group, and they've uh, they've they've issued this one with some with some new extras and a new transfer. Jeff Goldblum's in this, and John Hurd, Lindsey Krauss. And Bruno Kirby and Gwen Wells. So, huh. I wanted to mention that. And oh, let's see, we got a couple, a couple of Twilight Time titles here. Hello, Frisco, Hello from 1943 is a musical, and the 1944 film Pinup Girl and Mother Wore Tights. Both of those star Betty Grable. Those are both musicals as well. And um, and then we have Hussy. From 1980, starring Helen Mirren. <laughs> so that, that, yeah, uh, I think I saw something recently about Hussey. Yeah. 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 So um, it's a British film that's written and directed by Matthew Chapman. I have to admit, I wasn't really familiar with it until the Twilight Time put it out. But uh, these are, as usual, limited to 3,000 units each, and so uh, these Twilight Time releases um you know you get them while you can so uh and let's see what we have next we have uh one of the first films from john woo heroes shed no tears from 1986 and this is a film movement release this features a new interview with star eddie co and a new essay by Grady Hendrix, but uh, if you want to catch one of the uh, a new transfer of one of the early John Woo films, well, there you go. We have, uh, and this is a this is an interesting one for us to get into, and you, I'm sure you've heard about this. Uh, have you heard about the controversy over Lost Highway, the Blu-ray that's out now? Uh, Dave yeah. Lynch made a big deal about it on Twitter that he no way endorses this release of Lost Highway. Well, Kino Lorber has put this out, and they claimed that they went to the best film elements they could find and that they reached out to David Lynch for several months. They even delayed the release of this, and they said they weren't going to say anything about it, but since he took a swipe at them, they're going to come right back at him. And they, according to them, they tried and tried and tried to no avail to get David Lynch to participate in the extras, and he absolutely would not. He didn't even bother to respond to them. And they had no; they were left yeah. with nothing, no other, you know. No, there was nothing else they could do other than to just put out what they had. And he, he wouldn't sign off on any extras. So it's been a bit of a talking oh. point, actually. So right. Well, has. they should have just meditated on it. Right. Uh that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hear it looks good. Uh, the reviews on it are good. They say it's it's they've done a good job remastering it. So. At least Lost Highway is out in high definition format. We can be thankful for that, at least. 
Yeah. So Lost Highway yeah. has always bored me. That's that's been one of those Lynch movies that never worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, half of his catalog are among my all-time favorite movies, and the other half just don't work for me. But I I, I think that's that that's the kind of thing you come to expect when you're working with an experimental director like Lynch. You're either in it or you're not. It just doesn't reach your sensibilities or 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 it does. Yeah. That's right. That's the way it is. Yep, you're exactly right. But for uh for whatever it's worth, it is out there, as is the New York Ripper from Blue Underground, which is one of those Lucio Fulci horror films. A blade-wielding psychopath is on the loose, turning the Big Apple bright red with the blood of beautiful young women. Um, Jack Headley from For Your Eyes Only is a detective on his trail. And, um, you know, like I said, this has cult following, obviously, as do most of the Lucio Fulci films. This is a three-disc set, by the way, a limited edition with a particular cover. And it has uh, a really, really uh, extensive batch of extras, a new 7.1 audio soundtrack, and it also has the soundtrack CD as a bonus. So if you're a fan of the New York Ripper from Blue Underground has done it justice. I just wanted to say that. And Is this a true uh, case or something, or is this fictional or what? I think so. Yeah, I think it's fictional. I believe it is. But uh, but anyway, it's out there. Uh, Cinderella has been the 1950 version of Cinderella, the original animated version, has been issued in a signature anniversary edition. Now, I'm not sure why it would be an anniversary edition because it was released in 1950, so that would make it uh, what 69 years old. Well, anyway, we'll go with it. Uh, there are over two hours of extra features on here, so uh, lots lots of Nice bonus content and um, you know remastering of the film. So anyway, Cinderella for any fans of classic animation and um, the live action Cinderella from uh, 2015 has been issued in 4K. So um, the 1944 film Gaslight, starring oh. Charles Charles Boyer, has been issued by Warner Archive. So uh, that's they've done a nice job with the transfer on that one. Um, Eli Roth's 2015 film, The Green Inferno, where, uh, which is about a couple of college kids who decide to take a trip down to South America to protest, in protest of some things that are going on, and they wind up tangling with a group of cannibals. I uh, I have to admit, I enjoy this film. <laughs> Did you really? I did, I did. I have to admit, it's it's so over the top in that Evil Dead sort of way, and uh, I mean it's extremely gory, but just you can't take it seriously for a minute. But it's, I found it to be a lot of fun in that sort of ultra gory, ultra violent, kind of a throwback to those movies of the early '80s. I uh, I don't know, I dug it. I'm gonna tell you. So uh, yeah, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll check it out. I, I mean, think I'm you not, should. I'm not, I do. I'm not, I'm not big on Cannibal Holocaust, but uh... this one's uh, well, it, and it kind of has it. It, it also kind of takes a jab at these kids who are out there doing all this protesting, and uh, they don't really know what they're protesting about in a lot of cases. So there's kind of a 
a satirical edge to the film as well. It's not just all yeah. horrific elements. So I enjoyed that about it. So I I like it. I really I think it's one of Eli Roth's best films. And uh, uh, so anyway, it's a two disc disc set with the original CD soundtrack. And there's a new interview with Eli Roth and new interviews with the cast members and uh, vintage audio commentary and all all the extras from the previous release. So there you go. Um, you have that uh, Night of the Creeps, the 1987 film, which was a Turned up on uh, cable. It was a pay cable staple for for me anyway on HBO in the mid-80s. Saw that quite a bit. This is a really, really fun film uh, starring Tom Atkins and Jason Lively, who also appeared as uh, Rusty in the 1985 European Vacation. So, uh, yeah, it's it's about these... Uh, these alien creatures who are like slugs and they invade your your body and they they can reanimate corpses and it's just it's full of it's a really funny movie it's the humor is so sharp in this film but uh, but also kind of has some really nice horror movie elements as well kind of scary at times and i don't know it's just a good blend of like like a lot of those films from the mid 80s where they were able to successfully blend horror and and um, comedy so well so i i wholeheartedly uh, recommend Night of the Creeps, and it looks great. There's this two-disc set with the uh, director's cut and the original version. Um, no, this is a one-disc set, but it has two cuts of the film. So, anyway, well, um, the 19, and this is, uh, you know, recently we lost Doris Day, so the 1960 uh, Hitchcockian thriller that she appeared in, Midnight Lace, has been issued. Also stars Rex Harrison, John Gavin, and Myrna Loy, and Roddy McDowell. And this features an audio commentary by film historian Kat Ellinger and a theatrical trailer. This is a Kino release, but this is kind of a fun movie. I saw it years ago. It's uh, one of those fun Hitchcock, Hitchcock knockoffs that I would I, I would uh, recommend it. It's worth checking out. So the 19 or sorry the 2006 film starring Paul Giamatti and Ed Norton and Jessica Biel, The Illusionist, has been. Uh, issued by MVD Visual, uh, written and directed by Neil Berger, about dueling magicians. And then we have the yeah, only that was a weird that was a weird time. It's a weird time when you had the Illusionist and then uh, the Prestige. Like they both came out right. at the same time. You know, like they they're sure dueling yeah. they're dueling 18th century magician movies out there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I think the prestige is slightly better, but still, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, now here's a curio for you: the only film directed by, written and directed by Anne Bancroft, would be Fatso, mm-hmm. starring right. Dumb Louise. And Anne Bancroft is also in the film. Ron Carey and Candice Candice Azara. <clears throat> it's uh, you know, it's 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 fine. It's no great shakes, but uh, it's it's an interesting, it's a curio, and it's worth checking out, I would say, if you're a fan of Dom DeLuise. And, uh, there's some good moments in there, uh, but it's produced by uh, Brooks Films, of course, who Mel Brooks' production company, obviously. Uh, and the extras here include a look back on Fatso with the Mel Brooks. So he participated in the extras. And uh, an interview with film historian um, Maya Smuckler. So anyway, 
There you go. Fatso has from 1980 has been issued by Shout Factory. And we have a couple of uh, Olive Films releases. We have The Believers from 1987 starring Martin Sheen and Helen Shaver and Robert Loggia. And directed by John Schlesinger. And, um, yeah, so, I'm not crazy about that movie, but I do I do like the uh, – I do think the opening of it was really uh, terrifying. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. I remember the whole that thing too. of her being electrocuted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was, it was pretty spectacular, I will admit. And that's probably one of the few things I actually remember about that movie. So, yeah, definitely. A couple, another Olive Films release would be How to Stuff a Wild Bikini from 1965. This was one of the beach films. I believe it was the seventh in the series. And it has uh, one heck of a cast. It has in it Funicello, Dwayne Hickman, uh, Brian Donlevy, Buster Keaton, Beverly Adams, Harvey Limbeck, John Ashley, Jody McRae, Mickey Rooney. Um, what else can you say? <laughs> you know, it's quite a few there. So anyway, uh, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini has been issued by all the films. And the 1974 Blake Edwards film, The Tamarine Seed, Starring Julie Andrews and Omar Sharif has been issued by Scorpion Releasing. That's one of the Blake Edwards films I've never seen, so and I've always been curious about. Yeah, it. I just I just rewatched The Man Who Loves Women last week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hold up. That's, it's a str- it's a strange little movie. It's it's a lot more somber than you might think. Yeah. And then in the in the midst of it, there's this. You know, physical comedy stretch like goes on for twenty five or so minutes with Kim Basinger, where the movie kind of comes to life because it's this madcap sex comedy all of a sudden, and then it just goes right to back to being pretty somber. It's oh, a strange wow. movie. It's like yeah, the, I... it's like they're trying to toe the line between the 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 Burt Reynolds of of. Uh, of Smokey and the Bandit, the ladies' man, Burt Reynolds, and the more mature Burt Reynolds of starting over. Like, they're yeah. they're trying to toe those two lines, and it doesn't quite gel. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Last time I, last time I saw it, I uh, that was my impression as well. It's, uh, you know, it's a remake of a Francois Truffaut film from 1977, yeah. and I, I love that film. I'm going to be honest. I think that film is just really... Especially the ending of it is very devastating, and it's quite a quite a, a shocker and a surprise of a of a twist when you get to the the. Well, after end after of the I read, after I after I rewatched the Burt Reynolds thing last week, I went and I read Roger Ebert's review of it, and he had a line at the very end of his review that said, "You know, the Truffaut version, it recognizes this condition as the womanizer recognizes him as." It is some sort of disease. Yeah, said, right. But the, differ- the difference in the remake is the remake seems to be recommending the disease. That's a that's profound. That's terrific. Yeah, he nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's one of those things, versions. you know. Critics who are good writers, they can like crystallize something uh, that uh, just was in the air that you couldn't quite. Articulate. They could just crystallize yeah. it in one line. 
Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he nailed it. He sure did. That is a uh, – I do recommend it. And unfortunately, there is not a good copy of The Man Who Loved Women out there. There is an MGM DVD that's way out of print, which I have, but unfortunately it's for it's uh, panned and scanned. It's not even in widescreen. So this is a movie that really is clamoring for a for a reissue. I'd love to love to have a reissue of that. So yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, I um, you know, but it, it highly recommend it if you can find it and get your hands on one. And two other titles, and we'll be wrapping this up actually because I'm uh, I've actually covered everything. But uh, we got two more: the 1966 version of War and Peace. Uh, yeah, this was, Criterion, right? Yeah, it's a Criterion release. Have yeah. you have you seen this yet? I haven't gotten my copy yet. They they were having some trouble with the uh, the mail service uh, getting the copies out, and it it was on the way, but it didn't get to me in time. And I'm sure it's going to take me probably the better part of a week to get through it. But uh, I hear it's pretty spectacular because uh, they filmed it with, you know, uh, there's no CGI trickery going on here. These are real massive uh, sets and massive uh, amounts of crowd control that they used and yeah uh, just you I know, don't understand that. the ba- the battle the battle sequence is like insane it lasts yeah. an hour or two hours or something and it's just amazing mm-hmm. the good thing about subscribing to the criterion channel is that i could just wait it out eventually it'll yep, just pop up on the criterion channel yep <laughs> it it is de- yep it is it will be there I can't wait to see it. I, I can't wait to get my copy. So uh, it's it's on the way. So I will on a future episode I will give my opinion, but I can't really say anything other than it has been released, and as has Hedwig and the Ang- and the Angry Inch from two thousand one. <laughs> 